Some of the leading journalists in America were saying that he's a saying that he's a Russian agent and a Russian asset, you know? Yeah. And in the end, it turned out to be completely untrue. And they're like, okay, my bad. You know, and they move on to something else. And they lose nothing. They don't lose their jobs. And and the entire country, I mean, talk about the damage it did to the country to think that the president was a Russian spy, not just a buffoon, which, you know, they couldn't make the case he's a buffoon. That's an easy case to make. He had to be a Russian spy. All right, so I'm joined today with Noam Dwarman, who's the owner of the Comedy Cellar, which is one of the most famous comedy clubs in the world, based in New York. Uh, he's also the host of a couple of podcasts, right? So one of them's called Live From The Table, Comedy Cellar Live From The Table, and one of them, the other one's Live From America. So, yeah, I listen to them all the time, so I was really keen to By the way, I, can, yeah. can I, I just realized I'm wearing my, you know, I wear this Captain America thing for my kids. Yeah. And then I have an American flag behind me. It looks like I'm some sort of uh, uh, patriotic crazy person. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't want people to to miss. A, uh, I mean, I am quite a patriot, but I don't want. I don't want them to uh, take it that seriously. So. Maybe they'll just think you've gone insane. Oh, yeah, that's better. Yeah, whatever that is. Okay. So, like, why don't we just go straight into the politics stuff? Then, I'll, if we've got time, I'll ask you about owning the owning the club and so on. Okay. So can you, what, what's your kind of political perspective, just to sum up for someone who hasn't listened to your podcast? I think I'm pretty libertarian, but not crazy libertarian. You know, I, I t- take things case by case, but for the most part, I, I, I think people should be left alone as much as they can be. Okay, so ha- what does that mean in terms of like policies? What would you like to see the ideal setup be like in the US, let's say? Well, in, 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 in business, it means that... Um, they they uh, should leave us alone um, more than they do. Like even during this this virus thing, we were we were tied down in so many ways that we actually couldn't react um, accordingly. Like just like uh, we 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 couldn't shut down prior to the state allowing us to shut down because we could be sued for uh, shut not giving notice to the employees. We weren't allowed to ask the employees to. Um, take their temperature before they came to work because that was a violation of their privacy. You know, all these all these kind of things that seemed probably well-intentioned when they were passed. Yeah. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stories you can hear about in business. And in, um, in other things, of course, you know, people should be, like when it comes to like gay marriage and things like that, people should be able to do whatever they want. Yeah. I also think that um, religious people, uh, should be given a little more latitude to live the way they want, actually, in, in their towns, whatever it is. I don't, know, I don't know why we have to barge in and tell them, you know, don't do this and don't do that. It, it just seems like a recipe for, for friction all the time. Okay. So basically anyone should, more or less the government should try and bar out of things as much as they can. I mean, the government has to ensure safety standards, that's for sure, you know. And it's, I'm like, I'm not a crazy person. I know that, that uh, the profit motive will get people to cut corners and, and lives will, will uh, be lost. We don't want that. But you know, you, you can you can kind of illustrate uh, interestingly that you know w- the world looked on in awe as China built all these hospitals for the coronavirus. You know, in like yeah, you know, a couple of weeks, right? So how do they do that? How do they do that? Well, of course, we built in America the Empire State Building in thirteen months. Yeah, in ni- in the twenties, you know, hundred years ago, basically, in thirteen months. 
we built one of the most complex buildings, uh, even even that even stands today. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, some people died <laughs> doing that, you know. So, so obviously, the, but to build a building like that today would likely take more than ten years from drawing board to completion. So, somewhere in the middle, I think you can begin to see that. All right, well, it's good that we don't do it in thirteen months and and just run roughshod over everybody's safety. But if it's taking us ten years to to build something important, yeah. uh, we're just we've tied ourselves down a little bit too much. We don't need to pretend that we can't do what China did. We have decided that we shall not do that anymore, right? Yes. Yeah. That's the kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, like there's like roadworks down the road for me, which have literally been going on for eight months or something just to build a cycle lane. So I don't, yeah, I don't really understand how it happened because I just went to China and there would be motorways or like, you know, massive roads, which are hundreds and hundreds of miles long, which they built in two years and stuff. Just a completely yeah. different planet there. Now um, let's not let's not let's not pretend that they don't have terrible pollution there and they can't go outside. Like I'm not I'm not advocating you know uh, the kind of craziness that goes on in China. Yeah, I'm just trying to point out that we we are throttling ourselves in terms of our ability to do these things, and I think we need to ease up on the throttle. We should be able to build a building in five years. You know that would so, be. That would be- so what do you think about? Trump, like with Trump being elected, do you think that's had any impact on that side of things at all? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Like, where do you stand on that? I, I think that he's been um, very bad for the country because it, it, because of the the, the the terrible way the social fabric has come apart. Yeah, and that's clearly because of him um, throwing gasoline on every every little fire that he sees, and it's also because of the press in the in the way they come after him uh so many times in stories that go up in smoke i mean yeah. just just uh, this week there was a story about how bill barr i don't know if you follow it this closely in england but bill barr supposedly said that history is written by the winners blah 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 and then they yeah. cut off they cut off the, actually the rest i meet the press which is a very very venerable respected uh news organ in, in America. Yeah. You know, maybe the oldest one or one of the oldest ones. And they just chop up the quote. Yeah. To get it the way they want. And this, I'll give you another example. You probably heard about how Trump made that comment about bleach. Yeah. All right. It's a ridiculous thing to say, right? Yeah. And uh, I don't know if anybody actually drank bleach, but before that he made a similar, less ridiculous comment about hydrochloroquine, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. And oh, yeah, big, yeah, yeah. And it was a huge story plastered everywhere that some idiot yeah, uh, eight hydroxychloroquine, and it may have turned out that he might not even have done that because of Trump. But I mean, every you heard it all the way in, in England, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's completely misleading though, because it wasn't even like he the per, the people who took it. I think they took something completely different, and then the reporting of it was completely yeah. completely misleading. But every it was. I mean, it was it was on the tip of the tongue of every every respectable newspaper. On the other hand, our governor in New York, Andrew Cuomo, who is a, a beloved and a, a Democrat, yeah, he actually refused to let nursing homes turn away anybody who might have covid yeah and thousands of people died predictably because of his and other states were not doing it he thousands of people died he finally just relented and 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 uh um repealed the order a couple days ago yeah and it doesn't get one thousandth the attention that trump's dumb comment about hydroxychloroquine now you know that that to me is just on the face of it, a clear illustration of what's going on here. You, I mean, if it had yeah. been reversed, 
And Cuomo had made the comment about hydroxychloroquine and Trump had done something to allow thousands of people to die in nursing homes. You can yeah. be sure it would have covered the nursing homes <laughs> with Trump. And this has happened quite a bit in New York. The governor, our governor and our mayor, and it's not a liberal conservative thing because other states with liberal, uh, even more left-wing, uh, like the San Francisco, they've had very good leadership there. But we've had terrible mistakes made in New York. Yeah. And the press largely pretends they're not happening, you know. So that's... Yeah, this is kind of why I wanted to get you on the show because you just gave such a classic answer by saying you don't like Trump and then going into like a two-hour rant about why you find the press's treatment of Trump really annoying, which is exactly what I always end up doing. Because essentially, you can... Like, my view of Trump is almost divorced from the way in which he's reported because the way he's reported and the way it's discussed among other people who don't like him is so misleading and so far away from the reality of what he's done often that it's really hard to like think clearly about the situation because... Go ahead, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I mean, It's I, absolutely true. Yeah, like there's loads of stuff I disagree with him about really, really strongly. And if I was speaking to him, I would say, I think that's really offensive. I think it's really... Like, you shouldn't say things like that. This is really bad policy. And then you'll watch the news and I'll be like, did you see the one when he poured that fish feed in the lake? Yeah. And it's like, I saw that in the UK and I in, like, instantly knew that that was going to be just completely misleading news, which is basically they showed him tipping some fish feed in, in a pond. And they said oh, it basically made it look like it was unbelievably offensive and he was being deliberately like offensive and just chucking the fish feed in the pond in, in like a really sacred Japanese lake. But actually, if you took the full clip, which they'd edited out, it was him trying to be really respectful. Then the Japanese prime minister pouring the whole bowl in at once of fish feed and Trump just basically trying to be respectful and copying him and pouring the whole bowl in. And then it's just edited to make it look like he's being really... So it's like a completely meaningless little thing, but they somehow turn it into something which is just completely misleading. Well, yeah, and this started on day one, I don't know, they, they, where they said they reported that he took down a bust of Martin Luther King from the Oval Office on day one, and it turned out not to be true. Yeah. And look, and then, the, and then the, basically the entire two and a half years of this Russian scandal where- Oh, yeah, yeah. Where actually respectable American, some of the leading journalists in America were saying that he's a, saying that he's a Russian agent and a Russian asset, you know? Yeah. And in the end, it turned out to be completely untrue. And they're like, okay, uh, my bad. You know, and they, <laughs> and they move <laughs> yeah. on to something else. And they lose nothing, they don't lose their jobs. And, and the entire country- I mean, talk about the damage it did to the country to think that the president was a Russian spy, not just a buffoon, which yeah. you know, they couldn't make the case he's a buffoon. That's an easy case to make. He had to be a Russian spy. And it, it also affected our ability to um, do business in the world because other world leaders believed that this could be true. And um, then, of course, they had to be careful what they said to him and blah, blah. So and, and then how could he keep his mind on the presidency? Like I... I've said, and I know it's true as a boss, even when there's something serious going on, like a lawsuit, if I have a lawsuit, I would say it crowds out my ability to focus on most other things. If, if you're the president and for two and a half years, and this was true for Bill Clinton too, when he was sued for sexual harassment, which at the time I'm old enough to have had opinions at that time, I thought was, it should have just waited till after he got out of office because it was an yeah. old case. Because like, he's the president. He's got to focus on his job. If, he, if he's being sued for sexual harassment now, it's going to take up all his attention. So that's what they did to Trump. Now, listen, to be very clear, Trump is a very flawed individual. He, he went after Obama on this birther thing, and he yeah. knew it wasn't true. 
he knew it wasn't true. It was, it was lies, you know, and yeah. that's not a patriotic thing to do. You don't take down the sitting president of the United States on lies. You yeah. undercut him. But ironically, they did the same thing to Trump. They tried, they tried to take down the president of the United States on, on, on lies, you know? Yeah. So how do you think clearly on this stuff? Because I think the problem which I find is that I don't really want to get caught up in being really partisan and being, I find it really hard instinctively not to just take the side of defending someone like Trump or in the UK, the Brexit situation against people who just completely uncritically bought into what is essentially, without wanting to use their term, fake news. And so like, it's just misleading reporting of things which are massively exaggerated. But because I just end up constantly taking the side of showing why these stories are stupid and why people shouldn't uncritically accept them. But that makes it sound like I'm like a massive Trump fan or really pro-Brexit, which also I'm not. I see massive problems with those things as well. It's just I just instinctively have the type of mindset which wants to just correct the narrative and make sure that we're actually talking on rational, fact-based grounds rather than just completely partisan news. So how do you go about that in terms of looking at politics well, and stuff? I think, I think you described me, uh, I'm, I think I'm exactly the same way. And, and, and you shouldn't have to apologize for that. Like if, yeah. you, you should, if we could talk about Hitler yeah. and correct somebody's misstatement about Hitler without being accused of loving Hitler. You know, you, yeah. the, the truth has to come first. I mean, it's it really, the, the truth has to become first. And I mean, the bias is so terrible. So, and, and we know this from uh, science, you know, like double blind experiments where they've proven time and again that even with total good faith, someone who has any skin in the game in terms of uh, uh, analyzing a result is unable to do it. They, 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 it's like a Ouija board. They find themselves putting the, the, the letters on the, the Ouija, on whatever you call that thing, on the letters, and they don't realize it's them doing it. Yeah. And the press... Uh, re- refuses to see that their the resistance or their hatred of him is made it impossible for them to cover him in terms of their oath. Not that they take a real oath, but you know, kind of a figurative oath uh, that their first obligation is to the truth. Yeah, and they've lost their minds. They've lost their fuck. Can I call curse on this? They've yeah, lost yeah, their, yeah. You, you, they've I was just lost their effing minds. <laughs> yeah, that's like. Did you see I, that? I know a lot of journalists now, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists, whatever. A lot of people come to the Olive Tree, which is about the comedy show, and I've met a lot of people on my podcast. Yeah. And I used to revere them. And I used to assume that, you know, what do I know? I, I was there, you know, I, he, he's so-and-so, you know. I, but then after, you know, a few years of doing my podcast and having conversations, I realized, no. Yeah. They, they don't have answers. They're just not used to being challenged. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, one of the most incredible ones to them, because I listen to the podcast all the time, because I think you're one of the only people who actually has a similar mindset or one of the only people I can find on any podcast anyway, who has the same sort of mindset that I do, which is you find all the same stuff really annoying, but it doesn't mean you're like madly partisan. Yeah. It's just the same stuff stands out. But I can't see why more people don't just really clock onto the fact that that's happening. One really obvious example of that was when you interviewed that lawyer who was a really esteemed lawyer. It was like a year and a half ago or something. Neil Kachial? Maybe. He was like one of the most esteemed minority ethnic lawyers. Yeah, Neil Kachal. He's the former Solicitor General in the Clinton. Yeah, he's a big shot. Very big shot. Yeah, and you were talking to him about the Russia stuff. And he's literally one of the most respected lawyers in the, in the US. And you were basically just making more consistent points, which are more thoroughly thought through. And often he'd just say like, oh, yeah, I'd never thought about that. And just move yeah. on to the next point. Did but you believe that- when he said that? Yeah, but it's actually completely crazy. Yeah, well, I'm wondering when he... Listen, I... I 
I like Neil very much and we've had warm conversations since then. And, you know, so just to be clear, I, I, I don't, I, you know, it's hard for me to, to talk about that without sounding like I'm bashing a friend. So, but, yeah. but having said that, I mean, he's, he's, he's a, I don't know if he's going to hear this probably won't, but he's also yeah. a big boy. He got to be able to take it. Um, uh, I, when he said, I've never thought about that to some of my arguments, I was wondering if that was a, just a dodge. It seemed to me that his mind is too fine-tuned to have not thought about those things. And if, and if he hadn't yeah. thought about those things, that's just an illustration of what I'm talking about, bias. Like, how could you not think about it? You didn't think yeah. about it because yeah. you didn't want to. Wait, so can you just summarize your argument then? Oh, it was, it was, it's, it's pretty uh, arcane, but it was about Comey and, and presenting the... Uh, um, presenting the uh, uh, the Steele dossier before the FBI. And I, I was saying that Comey had to, that when Comey said, Mr. President, you're not under investigation, he yeah. had to be lying. And yeah. the reason he had to be lying was because he had to believe the Steele dossier. And he said, how do you know he believed the Steele dossier? Well, I said he had to believe the Steele dossier because by law, he wasn't allowed to put it in front of the court unless he believed it to be true. So if he put it in front of the court, then he believed it to be true. And if he believed it to be true, then he believed that Trump was a foreign agent. And if he yes, believed sir. that Trump was a foreign agent, there's no way he wasn't investigating him, you know? So this, to me, it was very tight. Yeah. Uh, I turned out to be exactly right. I mean, history has proven me out exact, I mean, exactly right. Yeah. And even there was a podcast uh, called Skullduggery with Michael Isikoff, where James Baker, who was the, um, the, I think the FBI's lead counsel, actually talked about this very thing. And he said he parted company with Comey because he thought Comey was making a mistake by telling Trump he wasn't under investigation because he was. Yeah. You know, so, but it finally came out. But it was obvious, you know. He, Neil was just like, you know, didn't want to look at it. Fine. So something else I want to talk about is the bill. So what do you think about the Biden campaign and what's going on with that? Especially things like the accusations against him by Tara Reid. And have you seen the footage of him being really creepy with kids? Oh, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> so what do you think of all of that? Because that's another example, which is just so classic of if people are coming out and saying, like, hashtag me too, which is completely fair enough, because I think you should be, I'm basically in favor of that type of thing, is and I think you should be super respectful towards women. And you should, like, if anyone behaves in a really creepy way, they should probably be called out. So I understand why a lot of people are annoyed by that. But then it's like, those of the cheerleaders of that came out and just defended Biden and said they wouldn't even discuss it, just like they said nothing about Bill Clinton when he was accused of raping Juanita Broderick. And it yeah. just seems to be the same basic, I don't understand. So what's your view on all of that? So it, it brings to mind a lot of things and things I've probably said on the podcast over the years you've heard, which is I, I always felt like um, the people who claimed that uh, that character was the most important thing were lying. And yeah. they couldn't understand how the evangelicals could forgive Trump and they couldn't understand uh, how, you know, and, and I always felt, listen, grow up, you you know very well that in a, for someone who's, for instance, um, pro-choice, they are not going to vote for the dude who's going to appoint the justice of the Supreme Court who's going to end the right to abortion. No matter how much an angel he is, they will vote for the rapist. And they should, because in the end, it'd be, I, I, I would like to have a president with good character, but in the end, we all have to live under policies. People who are not born yet are gonna be living under policies and decisions that our leaders make. And 
you know, let's say some policy is going to help impoverish people. So you're going to go to that person 20 years from now who's impoverished and say, listen, I know you're impoverished, but that's the way it had to be because the dude, you know, the other guy who would have helped you, he, 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 he harassed women. So, yeah, you know, yeah. you have to understand that, that it's the right thing. No, it, it's not the right thing. So they weaponize this character thing and they do it. They did it to uh, Kavanaugh and whatever it is. And, and now it's coming back to bite them on the ass because it's true that they're treating Biden correctly. I don't think it's fair to bring Tara Reid up to him. I think it's totally possible she made this story up 27 years ago. I don't think it's possible she's making it up now. There's too much evidence that she told people about it. You know, there's just too much. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't, they didn't do the same thing when it was Kavanaugh. There was less evidence with, uh, with, with Ford because they were weaponizing it. It wasn't, they, they pretended it was about character. It was really yeah. about opportunism. I will say this about the Democrats that they, they could, Biden is not nominated yet. Yeah. And they could have it, they could maintain their honor and replace him with a better candidate maybe. And then also say that they stood up for their principles, but I think they won't do that because Sanders would expect to be the, 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 the replacement. Yeah. And they don't want Sanders. But if Sanders weren't in the picture, I think they, they would move to replace Biden. But of course, that would be cynical too. They would, they would use it if they, as, an, as an excuse. Like they got rid of Al Franken. I don't know. You know I'm reluctant to go into two like American things. I don't know what what your people no no i'm interested in that anyway so yeah but uh, they got rid of al franken because they were you know trying to beat this guy out in, in alabama and they were going to place him with another democrat so they always there's it, it, just so much opportunism dressed up as righteousness and personally you know i i suffered really badly uh at the receiving end of the me too movement because of the fact that i let louis ck go on yeah yeah so Before why are you going to seem to these head about all of that then What's that? What can you go into some detail about what happened with that? Well, so we we allowed Louis C.K. to, to perform, and I, I I didn't throw him out, and yeah, yeah. you know we got threats of violence. I had uh, people on Facebook. They didn't. I mean, you could say they weren't threats, but saying things like, um, "I saw pictures of your kid, nice looking kids, uh, uh, probably like those Parkland kids were nice looking kids," like you know. <laughs> you take, yeah, I yeah. take I take it as a threat. Nobody wants to hear that about their kids. So this was, you know, they thought this was morally correct to come at me and, and try to ruin me and scare me because I let Louis perform. And these are the same people who have decided now, well, whatever Biden did, we're going to vote for him anyway. Yeah. You know, and, and it makes me sick. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good point. Because on the Louis C.K. thing, I think like in an isolated individual instance case i can definitely see the argument why someone will be really annoyed about him being given loads of fame and like having fame and fortune after doing some of the things he's done i can kind of see both sides of that argument but half the people who make that argument quite well and really forcefully then just come out and say like nothing about bill clinton who's accused of such serious things and have never said anything about it and basically just accuse anyone who does anything about it of being really far right when actually it's got nothing to do with being right wing at all say nothing about Joe Biden, even though it's been known the whole time. I was speaking to someone who works in the White House like a year and a half ago, because I was obsessed with these Biden videos of him being really creepy with the kids way back, like three or four years ago. And she said, she was like basically apolitical, but she just said, oh yeah, 
it's just common knowledge in the White House that when a new person comes join the White come joins the White House as an intern or whatever, we just give them a talk and say, by the way, Joe Biden is going to be really creepy. And it's like, how can those people not have spoken out about that, but be also annoyed about the Louis C.K. thing? It doesn't make any sense. It does, and and you know, it's interesting too about like, okay, they they found some, not much really when you when you really uh, look at it closely, but they found some uh, inconsistencies in Tara Reid's story over the years. Okay, fine. It's perfectly perfectly valid to bring up anytime she's not told the truth. But you know, Joe Biden was caught plagiarizing three times. Joe Biden got caught lying about his wife's death. Joe, I mean, Joe Biden, if you start looking up the lies of Joe Biden, yeah. um, he, Tara Reid looks like the most honest person in the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, and it's kind of what you're getting back to. So a fair person, if we're going to go down that route, a fair person would say, okay, how is this person's credibility? Well, she she didn't, doesn't look like she told the truth here. And what about his credibility? But they don't do that. They yeah. just focus on her credibility because they're not journalists. They're prosecutors. Yeah. They're, they're not trying to, 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 they're, they're not trying, well, you, I mean, I'm, I'm repeating myself already, but they're not, they're not trying to bring out both, both sides. Yeah, they're just yeah. trying to bring out the side to prove their case. And that's not their job. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's worth saying as well that it's also true that Trump obviously just tells loads of lies all the time, or at least like misleading, makes misleading well, statements and guilty of loads of unbelievably pathetic behavior and so on but i guess what stands out to me is just the fact that it's so dominant in like media and cultural circles and stuff to be completely aware of every single way in which trump does that which i think is often really stupid and pathetic but have absolutely no idea at all about anyone on the left or the democrats doing it which is why i just end up talking about that all the time so i don't know if that's the same with you or not but yeah well i mean look look at i mean trump trump seems to lie well he'll lie in every aspect mostly his lies are um salesman type lies right you know yeah like a car salesman or um and then some of his lies will just be absurd uh ways to deny things that you know like when he said they were just being sarcastic about the bleach comment you know like kind of lies like my kids tell but what he doesn't get enough credit for the credit may be the wrong word but i think people are not um properly noting is that he's been extremely honest about his intentions as president. Extremely, more than almost any other president. Everything that he said he wanted to do, even the things that I thought he's just saying now, you know, he really seemed, we have evidence that he really tried to do those things. Some of them he failed at. But I mean, there was early on, there was these uh, transcripts of his call to the president of Mexico that got leaked in the Atlantic. And you hear him saying, listen, I really need you to pay for that wall. I promise you American yeah. people. And the leader's like, what the hell? Is I'm not paying for your dumb wall. Yeah, but it was yeah. interesting that here he was actually saying it, you know, yeah. where I thought he would have said, listen, I know you can't pay for the wall, but, you know, I, I had to say that on the campaign, but maybe we can work out. Something. No, there was nothing. He was like, I need you to pay for that wall. So, I mean, like like everybody, um, he's, he's a mix of things. And I don't, you know, I... I I'm not, I don't think he has evil intentions towards the United States of America. I don't think he has evil intentions towards black people. I, I don't, I think he thinks we have too many immigrants and that the country is coming apart. I, I don't, I, all along he was, if you, if you go back, you'd be interested. There's some podcasts out there with him and Steve Bannon 
yeah. like from 2015, where Bannon was saying, we can't have too many, essentially, uh, this, I'm really paraphrasing, we can't have too many Asians running um, these tech companies. It's bad for our social fabric. And Trump was like, no, no, I don't agree. I think we need more people like that. So, yeah. so, so Trump was distinguishing, not based on race, but based on skills and things like that. So people want to say that he doesn't mean that. I think they're wrong. I think, I think he does mean that. He, I mean, he's a businessman. He runs things. He's certainly aware that we need immigrant labor. Like he's, he's aware of that. He's certainly aware that if you were to cut all labor off, he'd have nobody to work in his hotels. I mean, the dirty secret in America is that the biggest beneficiaries of low-skilled immigrants are the Republicans. Yeah, they, they, they take they take care of their children, take care of their gardens, uh, work in their businesses, bust the table. You know, like like this is the second they actually was a shortage of immigrant labor. It would be the Republicans who are complaining about it, not the Democrats. Yeah. But but um, it's a free for all. And 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 there is such a thing as going too far in everything. And I don't know, but you can't discuss anything objectively and you can look up paul krugman columns from before this became a hot issue where he writes about how low-skilled immigration is bringing down wages yeah he writes that you can go back to michael moore's you know michael moore the the film yeah yeah so he made he became famous with a film called roger and me did you ever see it no it's a documentary about the i guess the gm yeah plant and closings. I don't even remember, but essentially it was a documentary championing the case of the white working class. And this became the, the a cause celeb. And, and these people were the darling of the Democratic Party, the white working class that, that we were leaving behind. And that's what made Michael Moore famous. And somehow over time, we just moved on from that issue and Trump picked it up. And now they're the Trump voters. And without anything changing about them. They went from being the liberal darlings to the toothless rubes. Yeah. You know, and the, the struggling Americans, generation, multi-generation Americans struggling, high opioids, all that stuff that were a legit cause for the far left guy like Michael Moore not that long ago are now considered to be the toothless rubes that we're ashamed of. doesn't yeah. matter what happens. And we're more concerned about um, immigrants would seem, and we should be concerned about any immigrant that's suffering. They're here and they should be taken care of. I'm not one of these people. Like I don't, we have to treat them in hospitals. All don't, don't, nobody should overlay onto me any insensitivity towards immigrants. I'm surrounded by immigrants. My parents are immigrants, but we also need to care about the white working class and, and people should, they can, how can they vote for Trump? They vote for Trump because they know my enemy's enemy is my friend. They, they know who hates them and they're not going to vote for the people who deride them and look down on them. They're just not. Yeah. But I guess the confusing thing is that like loads of people who vote for Trump will have just picked up on loads of the same stuff, which you're talking about now, like just the media double standards, the problems of it's just the assumptions about how everyone has to agree to one really specific political narrative and they can't vary from that. And if they vary from it, they must just be really stupid or racist or whatever. But then at the same time, there are people who support those right-wing people who are also just quite nutty and a bit racist. So it's like, you can yeah, kind of I, catch. I, I don't think many. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I would tend to agree that I don't think like I don't know much about the US context. But in the UK, those people who voted for Brexit would just dismiss the whole vote pretty much and just completely racist lunatics. But actually, I don't know anyone who voted for it really who's like that. But there obviously are. Like, but then it's also stupid to say that none of them are because there's obviously there's a kind of like a weird friendship which is quite iffy. And I guess that's a similar dynamic in the Trump situation. So fine, let's move on to because I know we have we haven't got ages. So what yeah. do you think about the, the Israel question? Because that's something you talk about quite a lot. So what do you think is going on in the US in terms of how Israel is discussed and internationally what 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 do you see the picture as and what's your view on it kind of? Well I'm I'm looking for that word. I think that um you know the left has turned partially against Israel. They they say it's because of um this Israel policy or that Israel policy. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think it's, I think it's um, an essential part of the idea of intersectionality, which is basically that um, you, thou shall not take the side of any uh, European or white, white nation. Never mind that Israel is majority, not white, but anyway, yeah. thou shall not take the side of, even among Jews, thou shall not take the side of any white na- white people over people of color no matter what and i think that that is the marching orders so then you it's easy to then look at israel because there are certainly things they do which um which 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 might which we might wish they weren't doing but what it what it allows them to do is is abs- is just totally ignore the entire history of the conflict it ignores recent history where israel Israeli prime ministers had offered on at least two occasions everything that the left would want them to offer now. Yeah. And you just walked out on. And then they don't give you any answers. Like, well, okay, what would you do if if uh, your restaurant started blowing up? Well, I would give the land back. Well, would you give the land back? They Have, have they, have, do you, are you aware of, would they take it back and make peace? Have they ever said that they would take it back? Uh, would I mean, has Hamas not said to this very day that they will never make peace with Israel and they want Israel destroyed? Like, these are not easy answers here. Israel, a tiny nation, is yeah, one yeah. of the major tech medical powers in the world. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a startling accomplishment for a nation of that size with no oil, no, you know, no natural resources. It just... Just purely, I mean, it really is an illustration of what every other country should look at and say, well, you know what, we can bitch about this or that, but they're doing it. Why can't we do it? You know, yeah, you, know yeah. like, you can blame imperialism for a thousand years, but uh, at some point I'd say, well, it, look at Israel. They, look, look at what they're doing there, you know? Yeah. Why do you think that the left like hates Israel so much more than other nations or is so much more obsessed with it? I, I don't know. I mean, the tempting answer is, is anti-Semitism. I, I, I think, but it, it's not, and there's a lot of anti-Semitism on the left. A yeah. lot. <laughs> but I think it's, it's more to do with the optics of um, the left and this is not a bad reflex of the left, and we all have this reflex, is that they, they, it's difficult to see the, the weak, and the Palestinians are, are the weak and the abused, and they are abused, you know, as, as, any, as any weak person always is by a person. You, you give a badge to any people 
and give them power over other people, you're going to have abuses every day. That's just human nature. And you see this and you see it on TV and it becomes very, it pulls at your heartstrings and it, it, it's just very hard to not turn against them. And then when you see it in terms of the racial thing and also in terms of your worldview of uh, imperialism and all, and all these things, I think it just all adds up, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that's a good answer. But it's, yeah, I think that kind of makes sense to me. And it's the Jews. Yeah, I mean, let's not... Yeah. I forget, it's the Jews. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's a bit weird, their obsession with it. There's also, like, people like Ilan Omar and, the, you know, like, the squad, those type of people seem to say sort of, sort of the occasional quite dodgy thing about Israel or Zionists and their influence over things. And also just their reflex reaction always seems to be really, really much more anti-Israel than they would be anti-another nation doing well, Ilhan Omar is is a is a Somalian, right? Is, is that right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I hate to get that wrong, but she she's she comes from a country that that's that's grown up with the um, anti-Israel kind of marination. That's her. so. I I give her a bit of a pass in the same way I give my Palestinian friends a pass when I when I recognize that it's deep within them. The, you know the, 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 these feelings. But what I can't give a pass to is the, the enablers, the, the people in her party who found excuses and ways to not set her straight, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what they did. They, they came close and they were going to condemn her, blah, blah, blah. And before you know it, the left rose up and they, and they just watered the whole thing down. And so, yeah, I mean, she, she said some really bad things about Jews. Yeah. Yeah, they do come out with some pretty dodgy stuff. Wait, let me just check if there's anything else in the poll. Not AOC, though. Not, not AOC. I don't know if you did you say OC before? Um, only in the sense, yeah, but only in the sense that she's in like the squad, you know. That's what yeah. I know about it, referred to in the UK. But yeah, I don't know if she said anything specifically bad about a- AOC had made some comments about like uh, about Israel um, and the the humanitarian crisis there that yeah. were seemed a little uninformed. But she's never said anything over the line like like uh, Ilhan Omar did. Not not in my opinion. Yeah, something else, which is, I guess another thing with the Israel thing is I, because I'm Jewish as well, and I know that there's like... Oh, you know Max Klinger is the name of the guy in MASH, right? You know that. Obviously. Yeah, I know. I know. I can't believe I'm named after that guy. When I saw Max Klinger, I wondered if it was a punk, if I was being punk, but go ahead. Go <laughs> yeah. ahead, Jewish. But, so I know that there are valid reasons, like, obviously it's not the case that criticizing Israel means you're anti-Semitic. That's the problem. And so there are some people who just, if they hear any criticism of Israel, they basically just start saying it must be anti-Semitic, which I definitely don't think is true. But so I have a kind of problem with trying to shut down debate around that by just instantly saying, oh, this must be anti-Semitic. But at the same time, sadly enough, loads of the time, even if it's not explicitly anti-Semitic, there's kind of an anti-Semitic conspiratorial tinge underneath what well, a lot mean, of those people think. Absolutely. Or, or you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the, with the anti-Semitic charge as well, because um, for, for the reasons you are, because. Although that and that doesn't mean that I don't think anti-Semitism is part of it. Yeah, I just don't want to. I don't want to shut down the debate. But it is really stunning if you speak to people who are really out there complaining about Israel, and I've had a few of them on the podcast over the years. And you start asking them like the basic their basic IQ on Middle Eastern history. Yeah. They don't know almost anything. I mean, I can't yeah. tell you how many people said, well, I said, well, do you know how it is that Israel like, even had, got into the West Bank? Uh, no. How, 
oh, you know, there was a war and Israel, Israel was, you know, yeah. fighting for his life. And did you know that Israel actually called Jordan and said, this is between us and Egypt, just stay out and we won't, we won't attack you. And Jordan said, no, no, we're going to attack anyway. And in that attack, they lost Jerusalem and all that stuff. Yeah, and how, yeah. and, and usually in, in world history, the aggressor uh, is not uh, considered to have a strong case when he demands his land back. That's not usually the case, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, and, and the history, and then of course the history in Camp David and then Omar uh, with, um, uh, with Bush and, and um, Abbas, they've offered, they've really tried to give his land back. I mean, yeah. uh, Ariel Sharon pulled out of Gaza hoping that this would be the first step towards pulling out of the West Bank. It's pretty clear that it's not just Israel here. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, fine. So on the kind of like comedy club front, how long have you had the podcast for? I don't know, like six years. So how did you get them started? Did you just decide, I just feel like doing a podcast? No, I, I actually, I didn't want to do it. And I, and I still don't really want to do it. Robert, Robert, <laughs> Robert Kelly, the comedian, talked me into it. Yeah. And I started doing it. And um, I mean, I threatened to quit every week, but uh, I, I'm still doing it. I, <laughs> Wait, I really which did. one are you talking about? Are you talking about live from the table? Live from the table, yeah. And then um, the, the other one, um, that's my, my Palestinian friend, Hatem. I don't yeah. know if you at that one too. Yeah. He asked me to do it with him. And he wanted it to be kind of like an Arab versus Jew thing. Yeah. Uh, but we ran out of gas on that Arab versus Jew thing after a few weeks. So just yeah. became general thing okay yeah because you've got some pretty famous guests on it you've had like all sorts of people you've had brendan how did you get brendan o'neill on the podcast do you remember brendan O'Neill? yeah yeah i i love that guy um how did you come across him because i did a tiny bit of work with him i'm going to try and get him on this podcast somebody introduced us i don't remember who it was you're just kind of like aware of him in no the... i wasn't i wasn't aware of him somebody okay. who's somebody in that world of kind of heterodox uh, libertarians in America. Yeah. It introduced me to him and he came down to the olive tree. And, um, you know, a lot of these people like to hang out and have, and they like, they like comedy and stuff. So that's, you know, that, that's how I meet them. And then I think they recognize me as a kind of kindred spirit. Yeah. So then they come on the, the, the podcast. You must be such a rare guy though in that world, surely to have these views in the world. Not really? Like, really? So there are other people in the comedy kind of like, what, how do you define it? Yeah, comedy, cultural sphere who agree with you. Well, they, they think I'm a little bit out there in certain ways, but the, but the, the, the thing is that um, the comedians are reflexively not woke. Yeah. Because wokeness is a threat to them too. So, so, they, so because of that, they're way more reasonable and open to like free-for-all arguments about stuff. Yeah. In a way, in, in a way that was, you know, typical of like, 25 years ago or 30 years ago or when I went to law school or something as opposed to the average or, or not average, but typical left-leaning person now who gets offended at the drop of a pin. Yeah. Um, just at any, at any opinion that, you know, that, that rubs them the wrong way and immediately they attack you personally. You know? So the comedians are not like that. So it is actually a good, um, it is a good atmosphere for these kind of things. What do you think of, the situation in the comedy world in general? Is it like booming at the moment culturally or have the culture wars and kind of the Trump versus Democrat situation really polarized things? Just what's the general situation? What's your feeling? Well, I, I think that the, the, 
I think we've seen and we're beginning to learn that that the culture wars are a lot of bull in, in certain ways. That's what this Biden thing is proving. Yeah, and that yeah. Twitter is um, distorting our view of things. And I think that the pendulum is already swinging back. Like Dave Chappelle had that really warmly received special where he joked about Michael Jackson's victims and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And um, in the but end, then do, you th- do you think that's a good thing though? Do you think that's a good thing? Cause I, I, I have like a slight issue with that in the sense that I kind of err on the side of wanting there to be free speech. And I hate how everyone tries to shut everyone down all the time, but then I also don't want to go back to the days of having comics making slightly racially or, homophobic type jokes so i don't really know how to draw that line yeah i i um i first of all i there were racial and homophobic jokes but most of the jokes that were um that were truly racist and truly homophobic uh, there weren't that many jokes like that, and and there certainly weren't weren't ever at the Comedy Cellar. There were yeah, there yeah. were there were a lot of gay jokes, you know, people doing the gay character or whatever it is. But you know what? The gay comics um, now, of course, you the 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 rules are they can because they're they're joking about themselves, right? Yeah, yeah fair enough, I guess. But. Um, the fact is that they make the same jokes and they'd make the same stereotype characterizations. And, um, and when, uh, when non-gay people did it, uh, seldom was it actually hateful. And I don't, I don't want to, and I, I would have never allowed hateful stuff at the comedy. So what I'm saying is I don't think the, 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 the bad old days were quite, as bad as everybody's pretending, at least not in the nineties and the two thousands. Yeah. In the fifties, you see some uh, horrifying racial caricatures, but that stuff, that stuff went out of style and became uh, in in bad favor uh, prior to wokeness. You know, you couldn't do the Asian character with the buck teeth that we, we, we turned away from that without having to be told to turn away from it. And, um, so I guess what I'm saying in a long-winded way is that I, I don't want to turn the clock all the way back, but I don't think turning the clock back 10 years would be that bad at all. I don't, I don't think most of these comments that are considered racist and homophobic were actually racist or homophobic, nor did I, do I think that people had any trouble telling the difference. There's okay. so many jokes out there where someone says, come on, that wasn't, that wasn't really hateful. You know, you, you, know what, you know that wasn't hateful. You're just using it. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm sure there's examples. I, by the way, I, and I just personally, so you know, maybe listening, I've never been very comfortable with those kind of jokes. I remember when Lisa Lampanelli used to work at the comedy show. She's a she made a whole career out of it. I was never comfortable with her jokes. It always rubbed me the wrong way. And I used to watch the. This is my son. I used yeah. to, he's, you can't talk. I used to watch the Hey. I used to watch the audience very carefully to yeah. see if they were accepting it. And uh, but they were, but, but I mean, I would watch the black people in the audience to see how they were reacting to the black jokes. I'd watch the Asian people in the audience see how they reacted to the Asian jokes. Yeah, and I would yeah. try to, and it seemed when I when I felt that they were accepting it, and I would speak to them some after. I I I was like, I guess I'm wrong, but my gut is not. Uh, my gut maybe where your where yours is. I'm I'm not a big fan of jokes that put people in a bad light. Yeah, but I think but, people should. 
let the audience decide. Thanks for joining me. That was really awesome. And my pleasure. Wait, 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 wait. Goodbye. See you, Harry. Boom, 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 boom